The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to spoils the following works, Q, Into the Storm, and, if you're that one person on the planet who hasn't seen it yet, The Wizard of Oz. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Well, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. So, this week we're talking about the greatest philosopher of all time that's not you. <laughs> Brother. And, and that is... <laughs> David Hume. David Hume. Yeah, my, my favorite. And I think more recently, but coming into focus is at least one of your very, yeah, very favorites. That's, that's true. Yeah. And, and Hume wrote on all sorts of stuff. So this isn't a whole big episode on the oeuvre of, of Hume, but... Um, and it won't be only about Hume either. And it won't be only about Hume. But Hume on, on belief is sort of our, our launching off point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's this sort of famous, you know, puzzle, um, not to sound all Kripke, um, a puzzle about belief per, pertaining to Hume, right? So Hume admonishes, admonishes us at some point, you know, to... Um, Believe that which you know we're we're justified in believing, um, or at least at least argues that we're not justified in believing certain things that we think that we're justified in believing, and then right after that admonishes us that we don't really have any control over our beliefs. Right, we're it's this famous tension between the rational and the psychological with Hume that you know we're, we're compelled to believe certain things, but then you get this stuff on miracles where he is then cautioning us not to. Um, you know, believe um, in miracles for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, you know, you've got this you can't help it um, thing going on combined with this don't do this and combined with gonna, this other you're never justified in, in believing this. Yeah, I don't I don't think, it, you know, when it comes to the, to the miracle stuff, it doesn't seem to me he, that he's saying don't believe this. I think rather he's saying you, there's always... Well, let's just set it up, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the idea is, so he's writing about people um, believing in superstition. Okay. So to ver- so one, one of the examples he gives is um, there's this story about, and I might botch this, but um, about the, on the particular details, but there's this, there's this story in this town about this man who um, had lost both of his legs mm-hmm. and a priest comes and does a blessing and the guy grows both of his legs back as a result of the blessing. Yeah, it's um, a famous joke, right? A priest walks into a bar and then people's legs start growing back. <laughs> you had to have been there, famous. <laughs> so, uh, so when it comes to a story like that, 
the way you're going to come to the way people are going to come to believe that is through testimony and that you know the the the, the whole town came to believe it and then the, the church was endorsing it and all, all this sort of stuff but the you know nobody saw this guy's legs grow mm-hmm. you know because they didn't yeah right? and, and the so, guy happened to be blind right with with the legs so he just felt it or something and i'm <laughs> i'm just adding in to no. to make it more interesting so uh so Oh, remember the Wizard of Oz, right? And then the the house lands on the Wicked Witch of the West or the East, whichever one gets killed. And then her legs shrivel up and they roll up. Mm-hmm. Couldn't that happen in reverse? I mean, it just, you know, the, that, the, the legs unfurl and there they are. And then the next thing. Yeah, you know. in fiction world. <laughs> that, 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 could happen in, that could happen in the Wizard of Oz. I mean, I hate to go all Lewis on you. There's a possible world where <laughs> where that happened. All right. Um, yeah, well, not I mean, to, not I mean, some it, it's true in this world. Some animals regenerate their limbs, right? But but not not witches. Witches in our world don't regenerate anything, and certainly not humans. Yeah. So, um, okay. So so the only way you'd come to believe this that this guy grew his legs back is on the basis of testimony. But um, we have all of the history of our experience that supports the inductive claim that. The, that there are, that violations of the laws of nature never occur. Mm-hmm. So if you've got somebody saying this violation of the laws of nature occurred, you're always going to have more reason to believe that it, it didn't occur than to trust the testimony. Right. Especially right. since you know that um, people frequently, people lie, people are gullible, people believe what they want to believe. And so you have a, a lot of evidence of the related to the infallibility of testimony. Right, right. So so that's why I think, you know, we were saying um, he's... Uh, there, there isn't that piece. I mean, you may think that it's implied, but there isn't that piece of here's what you shouldn't believe. What you believe, ought to believe, right. But rather <clears throat> you just... In terms of the reasons available, the mm-hmm. evidence available, you always have more reason to believe that uh, the, the other. Right. Yeah, and yeah. then, you know, so um, what people find interesting about it, of course, is that that's an inductive argument. And earlier in the inquiry, Hume had railed on induction. Right. This is the famous problem of induction. Right. We're not justified in forming beliefs about the external world because they require induction and induction's only justified by induction. But you're right, there's, there's an out for him as long as he's not telling us what to do, right? He's, but he's also right, like, uh, has that bit about humans can't help but to reason inductively. Right, So right. we may never ultimately be, it can't be fundamentally justified, but we can't help but to do it. And so you might think, right. if That's there's the, a normative claim, if we're going to do it, we should yeah. do it the best that we can. <laughs> I right. don't know. Yeah, we could. <laughs> right, so that's the natural versus the rational. Right? Uh-huh. The rational's, we're not justified in believing these things. They don't, they don't rise to the level of, um, you know, whatever the norms of rationality require for justified belief. But then this, this natural side of us can't help but do it. So you get this bit on miracles. Um, great. All right. So what does any of this have to do with pop culture? Well, so we, we had recently, last season, right, a, a, an episode about conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, there have just been so many more since, since last, we, uh, since last we, we recorded, uh, last we discussed the topic, that 
um, it was we were thinking about how this Humean analysis of uh, miracles applies to, applies to conspiracy, conspiracy theories. theories. Yeah, I feel like we're on a conspiracy theory roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. So we were sort of at the height of conspiracy theories around the time of the election. And mm-hmm. then when some of the prophecies of the conspiracy theorists, QAnon in particular, didn't come true, it seemed like, mm-hmm. well, that movement lost steam. But like all these movements that, you know, predict the, you know, the world's going to end on such and such a date. It just takes a little while for someone to say, oh, we have the math wrong. And then suddenly the mm-hmm. conspiracy theory is back in business. Um, and then we'll talk about this a little bit later. We watched the um, HBO um, QAnon documentary. Into the Storm. Into the Storm, yeah. And, um, you know, they, they sort of revealed who Q might be. And then it, it felt a little bit like QAnon started to lose steam again. But then you just start hearing... Um, mm-hmm. You know, more things. Not like they're you know ever going to be very widespread. It's yeah you know, something that five percent of the population believes, which is a lot. Do when you, you think have it's that low? Millions. Yeah, you know. Um, that, I that, personally have a lot of that would identify with with most or all of the claims of QAnon. But certainly, you know, when you think of how QAnon intersects with the big lie and things like that, you know, it's, it's thirty and forty yeah. percent for for plenty yeah. of the claims. Maybe. Yeah. The, Maybe higher. That's that's that's. I would say that the the claim that the election was fraudulent is one of the most widespread conspiracy theory yeah. beliefs that that's out there. Right and now. and it's raging. Yeah. You know. Uh-huh. So yeah. So we're we're back to conspiracy theories, but we're not doing another episode on conspiracy theories. Um, but conspiracy theories are, are relevant to this discussion, um, as are um, talks about um, you know vaccines and whether or not to take them mm-hmm. and masks whether or not to wear them and mm-hmm. and so forth okay so um let's let's connect the dots yeah yeah so i mean when you're we, you let's say you have to make the, the decision on, you're trying to decide what to believe okay if if indeed that's actually what we do when we form beliefs and we'll get to that uh-huh um and you're deciding between whether you should believe um, the testimony of our um, of the top experts in the field related to let's say oh, so let's let's say let's pick vaccines mm-hmm. okay um, are you going to listen to the top experts in the field about this the safety and efficacy of vaccines are you going to um, rely on you know, on that same side of the the camp, there are you are you going to rely on our history with science and our history with how um, vaccines have served to slow the spread of diseases and in some cases even eliminate diseases entirely? Um, do we think that the evidence being provided there is stronger, or do we think that the evidence you know supri- provided by some YouTuber? You know, so yeah. somebody who who recorded a video about how vaccines are dangerous, who's really passionate about liberty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and even if you even if you find um, tons of those people on YouTube, they're on YouTube. They're just people on YouTube, right? And they and you find like they believe some pretty outlandish things that you know. I really think that the the conspiracy theories that we're seeing right now are just they're they're the same kinds of things that Hume's describing in terms of. Be, of superstitions, right? Um, there's a lot of magical thinking. There's a lot of there's a lot of belief that a perfectly healthy body can't possibly um, 
be infected with any infectious disease. So you've got a bunch of people out there saying, if you just lift weights, you won't get coronavirus. It's mm-hmm. like, that's not true. You know? So, I mean, so you've got all that stuff serving the role in, in the kind of miracles analogy that the superstitions were playing. And then you've got um, the, the laws of nature. Um, you've got the, the, the testimony of science, scientists and our history of science playing the same role that the, that the laws of nature are playing. Now, obviously, um, the, the inductive arguments we have related to the testimony of science isn't anywhere near as strong as the consistency of the laws of nature. But, mm-hmm. but still, I mean, it's, it's much, much better evidence. <laughs> right, right. And, and you could do a, sort of a broader inductive argument where you look at you know, expert testimony over time. You put more weight on more recent testimony. You know, 21st century scientists know more than 14th century scientists and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's not just... Oh, what do people know about infectious diseases mm-hmm. or whether elections were rigged or, you know, whether mm-hmm. they're lizard people eating babies in yeah. pizza parlors. Um, but what do the whole range of experts and, you know, all the medical sciences and political sciences and social sciences and stuff know about, you know, a whole variety of things? And then look at how often they're right, right? And then contrast that to people watching YouTube videos, for example. I mean, I don't mean to disparage people on YouTube too much. I I put up a series of videos a number of years ago, and within three weeks, I had less than a million downloads, you know, (laughs) less than a million downloads. But um, yeah, so, you know, if if you're going with induction, which is a, you know, a good way to go, right? um, I think forming crazy beliefs about the efficacy of vaccines that don't come from good sources um, or, you know, whether elections were rigged or, you know, any of those things um, is about as nuts as accepting somebody's legs just grew right back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a, another view of Hume's that seems sort of pertinent um, here, you know, relevant to the discussion of conspiracy theories and um, anti-vaxxers and so forth. And um, before we get to that, uh, I want to sort of frame this around a, an ethical question. So we've got a, a book coming out um, this fall on conspiracy theories. And one of the chapters addresses um, the ethics of belief, right? So um, there's this famous argument by W.K. Clifford. So do you want to... I think this may have come up on the that? podcast before. But so, yeah... So you've got a, a he, he begins the, his paper, The Ethics of Belief, with this story about a ship owner who has been told that his ship isn't seaworthy any longer and that it needs repairs or maybe even to be retired completely. And the ship owner initially maybe is a little bit concerned about this, but then he, I don't know, he starts to think about the ship like you might think about your old beat up car that's gotten you through gotten you from A to B so many times that like, oh, you know, it's got one more voyage in it, right? It's got one more drive to the Taco Bell or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he, he, he convinces himself that the ship will be fine for at least one more voyage. It's just sailing to the nearest Taco Bell, which is across the channel. Right. right. Well, actually, in this case, I think the, the, the ship is actually headed for the United States. So mm-hmm. um, if I'm remembering correctly. 
Or that's what's being insinuated, I think. Because back in the day, they didn't have Taco Bells in, in England, so... Yeah, so they had to go all the way, all the way to, to the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that was before Del Taco, right? I mean, if, if I would risk it for Del Taco. I don't <laughs> so, know that I would, if I'm that ship owner, I wouldn't risk it for Well, Taco it's Bell. important. An important fact <clears throat> is it's the ship owner, not the captain of the ship. So the ship owner yeah. isn't going anywhere. He's just yeah, sending he, the ship out. It's right. It's yeah. a, it's so, a profit thing. So yeah. he's convinced himself that that it's it's it will make it one more time. And... The way he t- the way Clifford tells the story at first, and then he alters the facts a little bit because it's, you know, just a hypothetical, is that the the ship sinks and everybody dies. Um, and he says, well, what? How should we assess the ship owner? And the, the and he says, surely we should say that he's guilty of the deaths of all those people who died in the sh- in the shipwreck. Um, but then he says, look, he would be equally guilty even if the ship didn't sink. Because the real transgression that, that the ship owner has committed is that he's believed something on the basis of insufficient evidence. Mm-hmm. And he uses that to say, we're all, you know, um, anytime that we choose to believe something on the basis of insufficient evidence, it's not just that we're committing an epistemic um, mistake, but we're actually doing something ethically wrong by knowing full well that we don't have enough evidence for something, but believing it anyway. He tells this other um, case, and this might be actually even more, it is more relevant to conspiracy theories than the ship owner case. So there, he, you've got this community. Imagine that there's a community where, just imagine this if you will, a community <laughs> where um, the, there's like a dominant religion <laughs> that controls everything, and then there's a minority religion. Here in Utah, that might be some, somewhat easy to, to imagine. You're, and, you're looking out the window. Because, <laughs> you know, once you start talking about this stuff, they show up and <laughs> come in their little helicopters and they look in your window and take you away like in The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> so, okay, so the example is that, so the, some members of the dominant religion start spreading rumors about people in the minority religion that the people in minority religion are going and stealing children in the night and bringing them uh, back to their camp or whatever and indoctrinating them with this minority religion and they start spreading this rumor and people are believing it but and it all happens in the basement of a pizza parlor <laughs> yeah so similar. somewhere so in chicago they're spreading this rumor and um everybody starts believing it and then it's revealed that they never had any evidence for it right they were just spreading rumors and and they had actually kind of you know um I'm, rem- I'm remembering that line from the play Gypsy where um, Mama Rose uh, starts, her daughter, who's in show business, describes her mother and says that the mom went around telling everybody that, um, that there were so many sequins on her daughter's dress that the two nuns who sewed it went blind. Mm-hmm. And, and then she says, and now she believes it, right? So yeah. that she actually believes that's what happened, even though it was a made-up story. And that's, the same thing is true with these people who are spreading the rumors. They spread the rumors so often and with such zeal that they actually start to believe the rumors that they themselves constructed that are nonsense or, or that are at least based on insufficient evidence. This is how Tucker Carlson passes his lie detector test. <laughs> you say it enough times. Yeah. So Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> so Clifford, Clifford concludes, well, like, how should people feel about the people who are spreading these rumors with, uh, that have, have no basis in fact that are, and that they don't have enough evidence to believe? And 
he says these they should be ostracized by the community they should be he says they should be viewed as no longer they should no longer be viewed as honorable men that people that are good members of their community given that we all rely on one another for belief we can't it's not like we can just stop believing things on the basis of testimony but when we when we engage with one another there's this understanding that when we re report when we express propositions we have evidence for them, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and so, um, so they're violating these norms of the community that the community actually needs in order to function effectively. We need to be able to rely on testimony and that testimony we need to be able to assume is supported by evidence. Um, so the, these people should be on the, 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 the naughty list. Clifford's naughty list. Yeah, okay. So um, if you're talking about like people who accept you know, conspiracy theories or... Um, you know, are anti-vaxxers for ridiculous reasons um, mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, there's sort of two parts to it, right? There's the, the passing the stuff along and clearly that's bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's also just the, the question of believing this stuff, mm -hmm. right? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing something bad when I believe this. It might bear on how I act. So if I've got, you know, some absurd belief about, um, you know, future harms of vaccines and I have no evidence for it, but I just, well, it might be true, and I, and I act on it, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, I'm somebody who, even if I have otherwise good intentions, might spread um, COVID, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. And might spread it to somebody who, you know, dies from it and so forth. Okay, so I, I think a line that, that we want to take in the book is something like, you know, following Clifford, we should only believe things for which we have sufficient evidence. But again, here's, here's Hume, um, Rearing his um, not particularly ugly head, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in section five of the inquiry, Hume argues for a view called doxastic voluntarism. Um, and, or sorry, um, involuntarism. Yeah. He argues against doxastic voluntarism, which is the idea that we have control over our beliefs. Hume argues, you know, quite effectively that, that beliefs are like feelings, mm -hmm. right? They're not just things that we choose to accept. Um, and a lot of people find this this very compelling. So I was having a conversation with um, our publisher the other day about this, and we were talking about the book. And he's like, "Well, what are you going to do in the you know, in the chapter about um, the ethics of belief uh, to respond to um, you know the, the humans?" Um, and it, it's sort of interesting. So you know, here we are, and I'm you know as I mentioned at the start, Hume's the the second greatest philosopher ever. Um, I, I'm very sympathetic to. Everything Hume says. I mean, I just, you know, I read Hume and, uh-huh, that sounds right. Thanks, mm -hmm. David. You know, I, mm -hmm. did, um, I, I can't not like it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I've claimed to be a doxastic involuntarist um, for many years, and, and, I, and I think I still am one, although all my beliefs are subject to change on a moment's notice, apparently. Um, okay, so with, with that in mind, here we are on the one hand sort of admonishing people, you know, don't believe this right mm -hmm. i mean telling people not to pass it on along is an easier thing you don't have evidence have evidence don't say it right mm -hmm. as long as there's something like free will mm -hmm. people are fine but but actually admonishing people not to believe things that um they can't help but believe right is, is sort of inconsistent with the idea that these people have any control over their beliefs or or that we do for that matter so i i just wonder um i'm going to put this in the most philosophical terms possible um if the doxastic and voluntarists are right, um, with respect to all these people who believe things that we would all be better off if they didn't believe, 
again, you know, QAnon, pandemic, um, vaccines might, um, you know, cause problems down the road that we're not aware of. Election Therefore, you shouldn't take them. Theories. Right, the big lie and so forth. Are we just screwed? That's that's my philosophical take on it. Well, I, I mean, I see an analogy here with the discussion about free will, and I mean, I guess it's a it it isn't just an analogy. It's it's just a form that it takes. Kind of a subset, right? Of it. Yeah, that you don't have. The one you could say, one thing you could say is you don't have any control over your beliefs because you don't have any control over anything, mm-hmm. um, because determinism is true. But I mean, I, so I think that what I'm often inclined to say in that debate is, you may not have any control over what you do, you know, because my students will sometimes try to give it, everybody a gotcha with like, well, um, I can't help but to think I have free will. So how is this doing any, how is this conversation about free will doing any good or something like that? Or, or, or the, the basic like, oh, if we don't have free will, um, then the people who are punishing criminals unjustly as a, because they, you know, criminals didn't have any control over their actions. So why should you punish them? They, the punishers can't do anything about it either. So they don't have free will. So what, since they don't have free will, so why are we even talking about this? But my response there is always to say, yeah, but this is one more causal mechanism. Right. Like yeah. when I, here I am, ta- you know, having a conversation with my students and now you have that piece and that's going to be a causal factor in what you go on to do. Right. Um, so maybe you won't be inclined if you're if you go into the criminal justice system to punish a person particularly harshly, if you're a juror or something, because now you've thought about free will. Maybe you were causally determined to think about it, but you thought about yeah, it. Yeah. So um I mean, I think I want to say something similar here that uh, just as one answer, because I've, I've got some other thoughts about it, too, but that, OK, yeah, maybe um, in the moment somebody watched the pandemic video, came to start to believe the pandemic um, and didn't have any control over whether they believed it. But, you know, if they're listening to this podcast and they're thinking about induction, and, you know, we triggered that thought. Um Maybe that could do some good, and and I, I'm not just saying oh us, yeah. Here we go. Here we come to save the day. Although like, it's true, <laughs> no. Ta-da. But I mean, if we're all out in the community, I don't think that we should adopt this attitude of like, well, there are some crazy conspiracy theories theorists now theorists theorists now, and there's nothing we can do about it. Like, no, we should still, even if you think doxastic volunteerism is true, um, or in excuse me, doxastic involuntarism Sorry, is true. That was my bad. <laughs> you should still. You should still speak out about the irrationality of these beliefs because maybe it will affect someone. I mean, maybe maybe someone will hear you and, and it will trigger a new belief. You know, so to say that to say that you have no control over belief, your beliefs, it doesn't mean that it doesn't entail that your beliefs can never be changed. Great. Yeah, this is this is um, close to one of the lines that, that I want to take in the book. Um, we haven't we haven't written this chapter, but we're sort of working through it. Um, so the fact that doxastic involuntarism is true, and that you don't have any control, you know, over some particular belief, whether you believe something, doesn't mean that the beliefs that you have are completely random, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of right. a causal mix. Right, exactly. Um, you know, that you just you just get beliefs and you're stuck with them. The, the beliefs that you have are a result of the things that you're exposed to. So, um, you know, everyone I think has an obligation um, to the extent that they can to educate themselves about these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sure, I'm just 
I, I'm not going to choose my beliefs. I'm, I'm going to believe whatever I'm going to believe. But um, if I recognize that, that what I believe is going to be largely informed by what I take in, mm-hmm. and I go to, going back to our earlier conversation, expert sources, mm-hmm. not YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like I said, I had less than a million downloads <laughs> in just a few short weeks. Um, then you'll, you'll be better off, right? Um, so you can... You can influence what you believe, mm-hmm. you know, greatly. Um, I mean, if I don't know anything about pogo sticks and I check a book out of the library on the history of pogo sticks, I don't know what I'm going to believe and I'm not going to accept anything in there. It's just going to happen to me on this view automatically. But I'm fairly certain I will, at the end of the book, have many beliefs about pogo sticks, mm-hmm. right, that I didn't have earlier. So, you you know, nowhere along the way can you, you choose your beliefs, but you can position yourself well Especially now, right? So in, in Hume's day, you know, he gives the example of the, the priest and the person with the legs. Um, gaining information about miracles and their likelihood was probably significantly harder mm-hmm. than it is today, right? Mm-hmm. So now you can, you can just Google anything, um, uh, you know, just go to a credible source. And so um, I don't know that we need doxastic voluntarism to be the case that there's an ethical response to misinformation, it just it just changes the nature of that response. Instead of don't accept that belief, it's position yourself to have the best set of beliefs. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, on a related note, like you said, you ha- may have some control over what you expose yourself to, right? Um, you also have maybe some control over the development of your own character, right? Mm, so. You know, you you may not know what information you're going to come into contact with in the future, but you do have um, control, perhaps, over your general level of credulity or incredulity. Like, how gullible you are. Like, like you could reflect on your past. I mean, here's here's where you know knowing yourself, as Socrates would tell us to do might might be helpful here is for us to be and and people are awful at this uniformly be able to be reflective and self-critical about your own character you know look at look at your history of past experiences i mean it seems like um a lot of these conspiracy theorists let's take the QAnon conspiracy theory uh seem to be particularly bad at this that QAnon you know the the various predictions of QAnon have not come true and not come true and not come true and not come true. But they they meant March fourth or whatever it is of twenty twenty two. It's eventually going to become twenty twenty four when you know, yeah. So maybe reflect over your your past behavior and say, look, I've I've believed a lot of things that aren't true. Maybe I shouldn't be so. Maybe I should be a little bit more circumspect. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, you can work on your own character. Yeah, um, and it doesn't just have to be things that, you know, over time have turned out to be false, right? You, you can look at things that, that you just are outside of your realm of expertise and see where that got you. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah. Stay in your lane. Yeah, stay and in your There's lane. also an aesthetic component of this, I think, that people are, you know, they're inclined toward conspiracy theories, not because that's where the the real significant evidence is, but because... That's the worldview that they like. <laughs> For a couple of reasons. You mentioned something aesthetic about it. One aesthetic thing is, you know, it's, it's more interesting to live in a world where there are lizard people mm-hmm. and 
you know, and that there are secret forces operating and all mm-hmm. that. It, it's all mm-hmm. sort of very attractive. Um, but there's also this other side of it that, you know, the QAnon conspiracy theory um, paints liberals in a very bad light, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're mm-hmm. um, cannibals and pedophiles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's and, not just about disagreeing with policy anymore. It's about tr- painting liberals as absolute scum of the earth evil people. Yeah, I hate those people. So this story's you know, naturally um, compelling to me. So the, the big lie is a great example of this, right? I mean, people want to believe that their candidate won the election. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to, I'll offer a little bit of a confession in this respect. So when Bush beat Kerry in um, 2008, was it eight? No, it was four, 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, there were stories that were all over the place about one district in Ohio that would have tipped the scales and, you know, it's, 60% Republican, but it voted 90% Republican. And mm-hmm. there were electronic machines with no paper trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard this story right after the election, and I went there. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, yep, that's what happened. Uh-huh. Right? No evidence of it. And it came out mm-hmm. sometime later that, you know, that was one of these things that got planted. So uh-huh. I, I can sympathize with the desire. No, you know, I invested way too much emotionally in that election mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. it turn out the other way. Mm-hmm. Right? But... To you know, to my credit, very quickly I was like, oh, I don't have any reason to believe that. Now it's mm-hmm. looking yeah. false, and I just wanted to believe it. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's always, we all do it. That's always a good a good check. Um, yeah, so um, we should probably wrap this segment up, lest this be the preachiest podcast ever. <laughs> um, so I propose that that we just end the section here. And then go to the segment where we tell people what television shows and movies to that they to should like, watch that they should like. <laughs> okay, Rach, what are we liking this week? Well, a couple weeks ago we watched the HBO documentary about QAnon called Into the Storm. Yeah, that was that was great. Uh-huh. Directly related to what we're talking about here. And I won't spoil it for people because it's super interesting. But uh, the one thing I'll say is that by the end, and this sounds like it's got to be a spoiler, right? But they're, they make a very good case for who Q is. Um, so I would watch that. I mean, it, it's, I actually almost think that everybody should watch it because QAnon has just been just unexpectedly. I mean, who would have ever thought that something that stupid could gain that kind of popular... And keep attention going. and, and it, it yeah, keeps going and going and going. Oh my gosh! Gets but, debunked right there. They, they show the people going into the pizza parlor. Oh, there's no basement here. The whole thing that's based on just false. Whatever. We're on to something else now. Yeah, yeah. And and some of these people that. Oh man! I mean, you just see that some of these people that have that believe this crazy stuff and acted on it and like, gosh, they're in like. Congress now, and they're in, or they're newscasters on right wing news networks like what these people just believe this insane stuff so um yeah and you see that you see this trajectory of that throughout like and q turns out to be exactly the kind of person you want him to be if you're anti-qanon right some sort of nerdy yeah i won't say too much computer person that none of these people would would hang with right this is this is not the the high level you know former head of the CIA type Washington insider. We're definitely going to have to spoiler alert this one. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, 
Yeah, it, it, if now if I, I didn't already know that there's no way QAnon believers would believe this documentary, they're already so disinclined to believe any counter evidence to this kind of thing, that then I would say everybody should watch it and it would dispel the conspiracy theory, but it, it won't because... Because of, of everything we said earlier in yeah, the episode yeah, yeah, yeah. with the Wizard yeah. of Oz and miracles and, and so forth. Um, yeah, okay, good. So what, what else were like? When we started watching The Nevers, we're just a couple episodes in. It was fun, kind of like X-Men. Yeah, that, that's what I'm sort of thinking is it's it's maybe X-Men for grown-ups in a way. X-Men is X-Men for grown-ups. X-Men works great for grown-ups, but there's a whole bunch of grown-ups that wouldn't watch something like X-Men because it's a superhero thing. Um <laughs> I, I think. Um, huh. None of the grown-ups we know, right? We, we're all... Well, everybody oh. I know watches superhero movies. Um, yeah. Uh, your, your peeps? They're, they're not grown-ups. <laughs> no. Yes, they are. Uh, this, this is X-Men for people that, that only watch HBO on Sunday okay. nights. Okay. Right? There's a certain kind of... This is the, the, you know, the X-Men that your dentist is going to watch, basically. <laughs> um, insurance salesmen are going to watch it. So, yeah, it's a high-polished... Joss Whedon production, HBO show. And so far it seems good. Um, it, this is just a personal thing. It's it's already a little more action than I normally mm-hmm. care for. Um, yeah. but, but I like most of the characters and you know, two episodes in, we'll see where they're going with it. Yeah. I just got to point out that the, the last two, um, like Infinity War and Endgame were like, the, had the, were the highest grossing movies of all time. Yeah. It's not like your dentist didn't go see Infinity War. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think our dentist saw Infinity War. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> guessing. Well, okay. I'll, I'll just date myself. I'll go back to like when Star Wars came out, right? Uh-huh. It was the highest grossing thing by a million miles. And there were still a bunch of quote-unquote grown-ups that called it Star Trek. Some of them even called it Star Trek, right? <laughs> and just, you know. It's like the, the group of people that doesn't know anything about pop culture. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Um, right. This, this is X-Men for people who don't generally go to the movies okay, 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 just, okay. We'll, we'll leave it at that all right um speaking of things that that grown-ups might not watch um <laughs> but we will um all right the other night um i think it was maybe after a whole day of watching the the news with the chauvin trial and um feeling despondent about people's reactions and all this i just wanted something light so um We'd seen this ads for a movie on Netflix, um, Thunder Force, and said, okay, that looks funny and silly. I need less of the world and right that's now. that's exactly what it was. And silly. it was. Um, yeah, and and I don't know what it looks like on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I suspect lots of um, critics are bashing it. Yeah, of course. Um, some of the dialogue's really bad. It, you know, it's a superhero film, you know, but it's like one one zillionth the budget of, um, you know, a, a Marvel movie. Um but I actually thought it was really fun from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll encourage people to watch Thunder Force. If you just need a completely mindless, no substance, just lighthearted. Yeah, and, and there's, you know, if you don't think Melissa McCarthy is just great. I mean, she's a, I think she's a comic treasure. Um, yeah. You know, then you're missing out. Um, um, yeah, so all around good. Um, let's see, we started watching Who Killed Sarah. We're like... Four episodes in. It's dubbed. Uh, it's yeah, it's dubbed. I think. It, I mean, I get this vibe. I've been, I, I'm talking about this without having looked into it even one bit before our podcast. But we just I did get an this vibe about that this. it might be like a telenovela. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But but you know, um, 
people are liking it, and so I'm I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, there's weird, dark, mysterious, maybe even David Lynch-esque turns in the next five or maybe six episodes. Maybe it could just turn out to be completely a soap opera. A soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that said, I, I I think it's pretty fun. Um, okay, and then the the last thing that we're liking, I think this is something that you like, but. This, this sort of just counts as something that I'm liking yeah. at the moment. Um, okay, so um, someone who I've collaborated with um, before on the pop culture books, um, Josh Heater, right, um, put forth a proposal to do a collection of essays on punk. And so we just put out the call for abstracts, and he asked me to join him on it, and I was delighted to. Um, I sort of have a background in that movement from, you know, several lifetimes ago. And... Um, so to first of all, we put out the call, and yeah, the abstracts aren't due for several months, mm-hmm. um, but we've we've had a ton of um, responses already. It's it's you know going really well for how these things go, and the ideas, a lot of them look really good. It's going to be a great collection, um, but that sort of put me in a in a mood where I want to listen to lots of the punk that I listened to when I was growing up. So this would be. Late seventies, early eighties, you know, the, the the really big names. Um, I don't know that I need to revisit any of the little San Francisco Bay Area bands that I saw in clubs that, mm-hmm. you know, put their music out on cassette tapes that I have in the garage somewhere. But, you know, listening to the Ramones and the Clash and the Sex Pistols and then sort of, you know, punk related stuff, the jam and whatnot, um, lately, um, has just been a, a ton of fun. So mm-hmm. what am I liking this week? Um, first wave punk rock, baby. That's where it's at. <laughs> Great. Okay, Rach, that's a wrap. Episode 52 is in the can. So thank you for listening. Um, we appreciate your support. And if you'd like to further support our podcast, um, go to our webpage. I think they're forifan.com, all one word. Click on the, the link that says donate and you can become a Patreon. Um, every supporter gets absolutely nothing. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to be part of that, uh, and in fact, you could be the first in your neighborhood to get absolutely nothing, then you'll want to be a Patreon. So we'll see you in um, a couple of weeks with episode 53.